the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I am your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, comedy writer, and performer, a graduate of Second City, and a Saturday Night Live expert and historian. And each week, we'll look back at everything SNL. The best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I will always prove that that tired cliche that you hear, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. And uh, this episode, we're going to have a little fun here um, and talk about, well, I'll give you the title, as you probably saw when you were downloading it or listening to it. Uh, this title, uh, the title of this episode is Live from New York, it's Catchphrases. Yes, catchphrases. Catchphrases are, uh, or were, for a while, uh, a pretty big and kind of integral part of Saturday Night Live, especially in the early days. And then they continued a little bit, the catchphrase thing continued up and through the 80s until around the early 90s. Um, and catchphrases. Now, everybody knows there are millions of catchphrases that have come out of Saturday Night Live. I mean, look, the t- you know what they say at the top of every SNL episode Live from New York, it's Saturday night. That's a catchphrase. So the show opens with one of the most ubiquitous and well-known and common catchphrases of all time. Every single week for 48 seasons and for 48 years, the sentence live from New York, it's Saturday night has been said on the show. Saturday Night Live is completely and absolutely associated with that catchphrase. And uh, so right from the very beginning when Chevy Chase said it on the first episode, uh, Live from New York and Saturday Night uh, became one of the most well-known and common catchphrases in American television and American entertainment history. So taking off from there, catchphrases. Now, I have, I've, I have kind of mixed feelings about catchphrases. I think they're kind of fun. And I do want to mention here the rules. Now, I have here, we're going to play back. I have 20 catchphrases, and so what I did was I was scouring around and looking around and reading past articles uh, and looking at polls and talking to people, and in my own brain, what I thought were the 20 most popular or at least the 20 best representatives of catchphrases in the history of Saturday Night Live. And for a catchphrase to be big, you know, it's got to become part of the vernacular, it's got to become part of the zeitgeist. Uh, for years, people can repeat it. If you're at parties and someone gets drunk, somebody's going to do an imitation of that catchphrase that has shown up on Saturday Night Live. Uh, for it to actually qualify as a catchphrase, an actual catchphrase, it has to have been something that was repeated several times on different episodes of Saturday Night Live. 
and throughout the years. So it's got to be like, it's usually a catchphrase that was uh, coined by a recurring character um, that you would see on several different uh, episodes. So things that would become popular or catchphrases that weren't technically catchphrases are not included on the list of 20. Now, they're not in any order. I, I did not put them in order of best catchphrase of all time to not best catchphrase of all time. They're just randomly chosen because everybody's going to remember them. And again, they came from uh, characters that were on the show repeatedly, characters that were recurring and would say this catchphrase over and over again. Uh, Single-time lines of dialogue are not counted. Let me give you an example. I'll give you three quick examples. These are not included. Now, for, so for in order for the catchphrase to be a real catchphrase, um, it has to be, like I said, repeated uh, on several different episodes, maybe through several different years, usually by one or two recurring characters. Um, now, for a line of dialogue from Saturday Night Live to hit and become very popular, but only on one episode, uh, or maybe even not from a recurring character, that doesn't really count as a catchphrase. Now, it, you know, like I'll give you three examples right now. Like, here's a perfect example of what is not really a catchphrase, but it is a line from Saturday Night Live that did become popular. But it's technically, it's not a catchphrase. Here it is. Governor Bush? Strategery. <laughs> right. So, strategery uh, is a, is, it was said a million times. This was, on, uh, you know, in 2000 during the election between Bush and... Um, uh, and Gore, and that was at the infamous and really, really funny uh, uh, satire of a, a debate that they did. And that's Will Ferrell playing George Bush, uh, George W. Bush, uh, saying strategy. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, Al Gore said lockbox. So that was the, you know, in, and at that time, it was very, very popular. But it wasn't like on 12 episodes over the following three seasons, uh, Will Ferrell would come out as George W. Bush. He did. But he would not say strategery. Only on one episode he said strategery. So that doesn't count. Here's another one that some people mislabel as a catchphrase. It isn't a catchphrase, but it could be. Here. Oh, sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Oh, God, I win. Finally, sweater weather. Sweater weather. About time. It's about time. Sweater weather. Finally, sweater weather. Sweater weather. Right. So that's from, <laughs> that's from Bronx Beat. Uh, and, uh, and it's Betty and Jody, uh, the characters that Amy Poehler and... Um, uh, and by a Rudolph play. And that's only on one episode. They only say it on one episode. Uh, so it's not a catchphrase. You can't qualify that as a catchphrase. They only said it on one episode during one bit. Now, they've done Bronx Beat a few times, but Sweater Weather was only said on one episode. But a lot of people think that's a catchphrase, and it really isn't. Now, here's the one that everybody thinks is a catchphrase, that when you see lists online or in periodicals or when people talk about their favorite SNL catchphrases, this one is mistakenly put in the catchphrase category. And it's not a catchphrase because it was only said once in one sketch on one episode by one character who was not recurring. And this is it. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Now, as much as I love it, and obviously more cowbell is one of the greatest sketches in the history of SNL. And by the way, uh, I'm going to do a whole episode dedicated entirely to that uh, sketch, how it started, who wrote it, what was behind it, what happened to everybody on stage uh, when they broke. It's one of the best sketches ever for so many reasons. We'll get into more Cowbell in another episode. But that doesn't count on the catchphrase list that I put together. 
Uh, so those examples, strategery, sweater weather, and more cowbell, those are examples of people thinking that they're actual catchphrases, but they aren't. They are one time only, one line only, one character only, not repeated over and over again. The idea of catchphrases really began very early on in the show. As I said, from the moment it aired in October of 1975, the words uh, live from New York at Saturday night were uttered and uttered on every single episode and became a catchphrase. And catchphrases were meant to sell T-shirts, to sell merchandise, to get into the vernacular, to make people watch the show more. And it got to the point where um, catchphrases were wanted by every cast member. Like, if you got a catchphrase, then you were, you know, you were it. You were the deal. Uh, and, and you were popular. And people wanted them because catchphrases started to, like I said, sell T-shirts and become popular. And as a cast member, you would stand out if you had a character that suddenly had a catchphrase. So it got to the point where, like, every week a cast member would repeat a catchphrase that maybe was popular and turn it into a popular catchphrase where they just by sake of repetition, it became popular to everybody watching the show and everybody in the country. And then eventually people were saying it worked. They were at the water cooler. They were saying these catchphrases. They were buying the t-shirts. They were buying the hats. They were buying the merch. Everybody at Saturday Night Live behind the scenes was happy. The producers, Lauren Michaels, the merch people, they were making money. NBC was happy. So the more catchphrases, the better. And it got to the point where it really became kind of ridiculous. Catchphrases became kind of ridiculous. They were, they got to the point where every single cast member would fight for scenes and sketches where they would, they would have catchphrases. I'll get to uh, a, a, a huge example of when they started to force catchphrases. It got to the point where, um, you know, uh, cast members would go up to writers and go, hey, I have this idea. And it would be this really shitty idea for a sketch, but there'd be like a weird sentence in the middle of it. Or, uh, you know, the, the, the cast member would say, I'm going to say this and then say a weird sentence with a weird voice or a weird accent in the hopes that somehow it would catch on and become a catchphrase to, to bust into the vernacular or to capture the zeitgeist or to have people saying it at work or in bars or imitating them, you know, years later or as time went on. And, uh, you know, there are stories where writers were like, look, don't come to me with this stupid ass sketch that has nothing in it but you wishing that this one line will become a catchphrase, catch fire, and then somehow you are going to stand out above everybody else on the show because you have a very hip catchphrase. Some uh, cast members uh, who were also writers, most, you know, almost all the cast, all the cast members on SNL are writers, but some of the cast members would come up with ideas. Uh, that would incorporate these wannabe, I hope I strike gold with this catchphrase. And one of the guys that did it all the time was Mike Myers. Mike Myers constantly wrote sketches where his characters would say something weird or do something strange or have a sentence where he would want, and, 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 and a lot of his characters have catchphrases. Um, uh, he, he is one of the kings of the catchphrase world, uh, where like he would write these characters that weren't necessarily funny, that weren't necessarily original. I'm not a big Mike Myers guy. Uh, he's, he is a, he's an infamous joke stealer. Um, and so they weren't necessarily the most three-dimensional or real characters, but they did utter these wacky catchphrases. And for Mike Myers, his most successful bits, his most successful sketches, and his most successful characters almost entirely consist of him doing nothing but rattling off dumb catchphrases that struck a chord with everybody. So Mike Myers... Uh, for lack of great, deep, significant comedic talent, was also what his big talent is that he was able to write catchphrases. And again, he's another guy who went too far and became forced, where it was like every single character he did 
became a catchphrase. Like we got to the point where he played the British kid taking a bath. Are you looking at my bum? Where he played the kid that was, um, uh, you know, that was uh, uh, tethered to the monkey bars. He had a few or five. So it got to the point where every single middle-aged man, all of these characters that Mike Myers did, what he wanted to do, not necessarily was to to create great satiric, funny comedy. What he wanted to do was tell some jokes and make sure that people sold T-shirts for him. Like the, the, the main, <laughs> you know, the main thing that Mike Myers wanted was to come up with another catchphrase that America will love so that he can sell more T-shirts and people will talk about how funny that little sentence is that he came up with. Not the greatest satirical writer in the world, not the most deeply significant comedy writer of all time. In fact, not a good comedy writer at all, but he was great at making up catchphrases that somehow people loved. That's his legacy as far as I'm concerned. So Mike Myers was kind of the king of, I don't care about real comedy, but I do care about selling T-shirts and throwing catchphrases around. So he's kind of the king of it. But that was a common thing. Like I said, in the early days in the 70s, if you got a catchphrase, man, oh, man, you were going to hear it every week. If there was a recurring character, if there was a wacky sentence, if there was, a, if there was something that the audience would cheer at the end of, Somebody would say something, a catchphrase that you could hear every week, and the audience would cheer, and then you know, you know, you, you know, people around the country were talking about it, and you'd hear it in bars or in restaurants or at parties and stuff like that. In the early days, everybody wanted a catchphrase, and everybody had one, and they would be repeated ad nauseum. And the whole catchphrase thing would continue. It started in the 70s, big time, you know, where every cast member wanted one, and it continued and goes on and goes on. And then it continued all the way through the 80s and up until the early 90s, and then it died off. And it wasn't so much about catchphrases um, specifically, but certain things and recurring characters did catch on. So, you know, like back in the, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, you had your Mary Catherine Gallagher's, you had your, um, you know, you had your Spartan cheerleaders. And, you know, you had these recurring characters that were very funny, and sometimes they would say the same thing. But it wasn't like it was in the 80s and the 70s when it was all about the catchphrase. So, um, so that's what we're talking about here. So here are the 20 of them. Let's fly through some of these. These are fun. I mean, I love going back, uh, to, to listen to the catchphrases. Uh, and here are some of the classic ones. We got 20 of them again in no particular order. Here is a classic catchphrase for you. In example number one, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, about that, this, this catchphrase, uh, as we go. Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> So that's one of the classic catchphrases. Uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Jane Curtin were co-anchors of Weekend Update. They would do point, counterpoint. Jane, Jane, uh, Jane Curtin was always uh, portrayed as the bitch. She was referred to as a bitch a bunch of times uh, by Emily Latella and everybody else. And she played it well. Um, and you go back and you look at this, and it's, it's, very, it's a very harsh line. And the stuff that comes out of Dan Aykroyd's mouth uh, at the point, counterpoint, after he says, Jane, you ignorant slut, is usually really mean. Uh, you look back at it now, and it's very, it's, it's uncomfortable to watch. Uh, when I was, you know, like 12 or 13, and I saw that, that was the funniest thing of all time. But that became a catchphrase where it said, you know, so Jane, you ignorant slut is, a, is, a, is an unfortunate uh, catchphrase. And again, these go, um, they, they pop around through time here. Most of them from the early days into the 70s and the 80s and a few from into the 90s. Um, but yeah, the, the, the catchphrase thing um, was in the first uh, like 20 years of the show, and then it started to die down. So, you know, it still happens, but it wasn't a goal of the writers. Let's create a catchphrase that sells T-shirts. So here's another one. Did I just say something without knowing it? No, go, bye-bye. Hi, I was just wondering. Bye-bye. 
So that bye bye uh, from Total Bastard Airlines again. Uh, by the way, chosen if uh, an earlier episode here of uh, of that show hasn't been funny in years. Uh, my lovely uh, future ex-wife, the great actress Dana DiLorenzo, great comedic actress. She chose that as one of her favorite sketches of all time. Recurring sketches was Total Bastard Airlines. So bye bye. Another catchphrase that people would say all the time. Uh, David uh, David Spade was another one who um, at that time had catchphrases, and the resurgence of catchphrases happened around. In that 80s period uh, and into the early 90s, they really started to catch fire as well. And it was like the 70s all over again where everybody was like, oh, I got to come up with a catchphrase. It was an important thing. And as we talked about with Mike Thompson, who is the author of a a terrific book on Phil Hartman, uh, which you should go back and listen to that episode as well. Phil Hartman was always sad because he didn't have a catchphrase. Um, You know, he really didn't have that one liner that everybody listened to, you know, and and, and for some reason that really bugged him. It bugged Phil Hartman. It was like everybody else had all these catchphrases. They were selling T-shirts at the at, in the NBC lobby, in the lobby of the NBC Tower. You know, when you go to, to buy uh, merchandise, uh, T-shirts and hats and all kinds of stuff were flying off the shelves with buh bye on them, but there was nothing that Phil Hartman had because Phil Hartman was one of those guys who created actual satire and three-dimensional characters that he cared about, but he was always upset that he never had the catchphrase. All right, uh, getting into, as I mentioned, uh, Mike Myers is kind of the king of the catchphrase post-original cast. And here's the one of the huge ones. Schwing, schwing, tentpole. <laughs> schwing. Yeah, so he got a boner. Uh, hey, Wayne got a boner. Uh, and so the Wayne's World alone, uh, Mike Myers, in that sketch alone and in the movie, which subsequently would become, you know, movies and, you know, commercials and all kinds of stuff and, and you know, obviously T-shirts and merch. But uh, that sketch alone, uh, Wayne's World, contained within it probably 10, 12 catchphrases that both of them would say, I'm going to hurl and all these other, you know, uh, babel, you know, all this other. And so all of the, you know, like like I said about Mike Myers, not the biggest fan, but he was able to 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 pile in 10, 12 catchphrases into some repetitive sketches. And he would do that all the time. He was guilty of, of writing sketches that consisted only of catchphrases, and Wayne's World was nothing but catchphrases. And I, and I guess swing, schwing was probably the biggest one. All right, here's another example of a uh, legendary catchphrase from SNL. You look marvelous. <laughs> Absolutely marvelous, eh? Yes, that's Billy Crystal doing his uh, Fernando Lamas takeoff. Um, and, uh, and it was, uh, uh, his, the TV show that Fernando did and you look marvelous became this catchphrase that, uh, that Billy Crystal sort of improvised actually one night. It became huge. People responded to it. They said it all the time. And then suddenly every week, and he was only on for one season, Billy Crystal was only a regular on Saturday night live for one season. And in that one season, he probably said, you look marvelous 9,000 times. And then every talk show appearance that he would make. He would do the voice and do it, and then it became a thing that he would do during his stand-up, a thing that he would do, you know, uh, uh, during comic relief. You know, so You Look Marvelous was everywhere in the 80s, everywhere. Uh, so there's another one. All right, here's another one. Yeah, that's a ticket. Yeah, that's the ticket. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> Flanagan, the, uh, the, the president of the Liars uh, Club. That, of course, is John Lovitz. John Lovitz is one of those guys who... 
who wanted more catchphrases and who who like Mike Myers, who was on the same cast, who was on the same cast as Mike Myers. Uh, everybody in those days wanted to be Mike Myers because Mike Myers was selling the most T-shirts and the most merch. And in the vernacular, people were saying shit that Mike Myers wrote, these wacky one-sentence catchphrases. And, um, and Lovitz was one of those guys who really, really, really uh, wanted more catchphrases and desired more catchphrases. And he got a bunch. He did. That's one of them. Yeah, that's the ticket. And he had a few more. But as you'll hear later, uh, I'm going to play an example of someone desperately trying to get more catchphrases and writing and creating a character with the sole intent of having a catchphrase take off. And I'll talk about that later, and I'll play a clip later. But, but John Lovitz is one of the hugest examples and one of the guiltiest of all guilty parties of someone just blatantly trying to write catchphrases. And I will play a bit that is the most blatant example of someone desperately trying to create a really bad character just to sell T-shirts and just to get a catchphrase going. And, uh, yeah. All right, so that's the ticket. That's John Lovitz, a legendary one. Here's another one. The Bears. The Bears. Yeah, a real great representation of our city here in Chicago. <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> That's George Wentz, and you had uh, Mike Myers was in that, Robert Smigel was in that, and uh, and Chris Farley, and they were the super fans. And Dub Bears became not only a catchphrase uh, that was repeated a million times, but it became somehow a representative of this city. Somehow Dub Bears became known us Chicagoans became those guys like we became the super fans like anybody who lived outside of Chicago thought that we were all those guys we all had bad mustaches and we all said dub bears and we all ate ribs and we had 16 heart attacks uh, you know while we were sitting in Ditka's um and so as funny as it is and it is a funny sketch there's no question about it and those characters were repeated ad nauseum and it became part of pop culture in the vernacular like a lot of these catchphrases did. But, uh, but yeah, here, us in Chicago, every time we see it, we laugh and then go, man, that's not representative of anything. But it's funny, so who cares? So Dub Bears, another one. Uh, all right, now here's another guy uh, who, like Mike Myers, who was on at the same time, generated a lot of catchphrases. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> that's the... Uh, yeah. See... And that's the desired effect. You heard that incredible amount of applause, okay? He, he said one word. He said one sentence. He said, well, isn't that special? And when you get uh, an uproarious scream from the audience or great applause, that means that you have an unbelievably successful catchphrase, and you're going to sell merch, and you're going to sell T-shirts, and people are going to be saying it in their regular lives. And, uh, well, isn't that special from the church lady? And the church lady had five or six catchphrases that she would say every week. And like Mike Myers, Dana Carvey was another guy who, you know, and, and of course he was Garth to, to Mike Myers, Wayne. And those guys together were like, hey, I got an idea, not necessarily for great satire or a good sketch, but I got a really great idea so that I can sell more T-shirts and have people say our catchphrase. And so, you know, Dana Carvey was another one of those guys who wrote sketches entirely based upon how can I get a catchphrase in. Uh, you know, but that started in the early days. All right, um, uh, so, so yeah, there's a, well, isn't that special from the church lady? All right, here's the next one. Well, gents, it just goes to show you. It's always something. If it's not... There you go, it's always something. Again, and, and this back in the early days, the original cast, if something broke, if the audience liked it, 
and they cheered or they repeated it, you would hear it every fucking week. <laughs> I mean, back in the 70s and those early days, all the way up through the early 90s, if something, if there was one word or one sentence that got a reaction from the audience, SNL was going to pound it into your face until you bought the T-shirt, until you were saying it every day. That was just a, a common thing that happened as a result of the success of the show. So, Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, it's always something. That's another one. Now, here is one of the most iconic and the most incredibly blatant examples of the successful catchphrase. This is, I, I would say this, this is the number one, and if I were to put these in order, this is the number one catchphrase in the history of SNL, the one I'm about to play. It is not only the number one catchphrase in the history of SNL, it is the ultimate example of what a catchphrase did, why they existed, and why you wanted to have one. Here it is. As far as I'm concerned, the ultimate catchphrase in the history of Saturday Night Live. And again, this is from the early seasons. We are two wild and crazy guys. Yeah. Crowd goes nuts. The applause go on for 30 seconds. People go apeshit. People buy wild and crazy guy t-shirts. They walk around doing the doing the, the movements and they wear the hats and they all do that stuff. But two wild and crazy guys, part of the thousands of catchphrases that were popular and shoved down your throat on a weekly basis during those first five years of Saturday Night Live. But to me, the ultimate example of a catchphrase that everybody wanted, that everybody on the cast wanted, uh, that's that's it. Too wild and crazy. Guys, of course, that's Steve Martin and uh, and Dan Aykroyd. All right, here's another one. And we want to pop you up. Now, that clip right there was taken from one of the first times they did Hans and Franz because then, because of pomp you up, became such a huge catchphrase. If you remember, everybody in the audience, pomp you up. The entire audience claps. You can hear everybody in the audience clap. Um, and by that point... The Hans and Franz sketches, the recurring characters were very, very popular. And, of course, their catchphrases, girly man and all that stuff. Again, Dana Carvey, uh, were very, very popular. So, But pump you up is another one. All right. Here's another one. I'm Gumby, damn it. There you go. I'm Gumby, damn it. Uh, Eddie Murphy had a bunch of them. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that really took off. Um, you know, the whole hot, you know, the, by, the, by the way, the, you know, the, the, the James Brown hot tub thing. People talk about that all the time, and they, they quote from that one all the time. Uh, that, was, that doesn't qualify because that only was, there was only one sketch. People forget that that hot tub sketch, the James Brown hot tub sketch, only happened once. People, you know, they misremember things. You, you, you know, when you're thinking back to some of the classic stuff from SNL, uh, that you think that it, it was done a bunch of times. You know, More Cowbell was only once, and uh, the James Brown thing was only once. But it became so hugely popular, and it became part of pop culture, that we think that it aired more than once, but it didn't. But uh, I'm Gumby, damn it. Obviously, Gumby was one of the most popular uh, Eddie Murphy characters that he did while he was basically pretty much carrying the show for a few seasons in the early 80s during the uh, Ebersol uh, era uh, slash, you know, uh, Domanian uh, era as well. So, all right, um, uh, here's another catchphrase. This is actually from one of my favorite uh, characters uh, ever. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's right. Stuart Smalley and the Daily Affirmation. Good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And God darn it, uh, people like me. Um, I love that character, and that, again, if you've not listened to um, my episode 
of this podcast from about six, ep- six, seven episodes ago where I run down the best SNL movies of all time based upon SNL characters of all time. My favorite of all time is uh, Stuart Saves His Family. Um, and that's what that's from. But yeah, that's, uh, that's Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Uh, and that was a catchphrase. But the thing is, that catchphrase was actually part of the character. Like it was a daily affirmation. And he said it all the time because that was part of the show. Um, and it wasn't just a cheap way to get people to say stuff by a water cooler. Al Franken, the great Al Franken, wrote that, created that character based on his own, you know, personal life dealing with uh, being codependent and being, you know, part of a family that had uh, addiction issues. Uh, and he wrote all that great stuff, Stuart Smalley. But yeah, uh, I'm good enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. That's a classic one. All right. Uh, this is one of the legendary ones that is not from cast members, that was not generated by cast members but by, um, you know, a series of films that were shown in the first few seasons of SNL. Bill, you're wasting energy. I'll shut the door. Right. Oh, no. Mr. Bill. Oh, no. I had a Mr. Bill t-shirt. I had a couple of Mr. Bill t-shirts when I was, like, 14. Um, So, yeah, Mr. Bill, hilarious. You know, the little uh, uh, clay uh, figure. Sluggo would come in, and Mr. Hand would always be bad with him, and... uh, and it was, it was, you know, classic, Mr. Bill. But yeah, oh no, great catch phrase. Here's another one going back to the early days. And again, connected to Chicago, not unlike De Bears, but here's another one. Right, uh, so Chirbergar, you know, uh, no Coke Pepsi, no fries chips, that whole thing. Uh, you know, uh, the diner that was based on the, the, the diner that uh, Belushi's family had. And the cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger thing is based on the Billy Goats, which is located on Lower Michigan Avenue across the street from the Trib Building. Uh, again, closely associated, closely associated with Chicago. Um, and they play it up. If you ever go to any of the locations now, there are several locations now for, uh, for the Billy Goat. If you go in there, whoever is near the grill will go, cheeseburger, 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 just because, you know, you're a tourist and blah, blah, blah. Huge, became part of the vernacular, especially in Chicago. And, uh, and uh, Belushi uh, brought that to, uh, to Saturday Night Live. And he and Dan Aykroyd went nuts and said, cheese better go, cheese better go, of course. And again, the early days when every single cast member, original cast member, had a catchphrase of their own. I mean, Garrett, Garrett Morris had baseball's been betty, betty good to me. Um, you know, Chevy Chase had a bunch of them. Chevy Chase got to say his name every week. That's one of the reasons why he was the standout of the first season of that show was because every week he said, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Everybody knew who he was because one of his major catchphrases was, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Everybody had a catchphrase. Every single cast member of Saturday Night Live during that first season and during the first couple of seasons, they all had at least one catchphrase. Some had five, six, seven of them. And every week you were going to hear them. Lauren was going to make sure that you heard those catchphrases, that you were saying them at work that you were talking about them, and so that people would go, what are you saying? Why are you saying uh, cheeseburger, cheeseburger like that? And then they say, well, it's on Saturday Night Live. You should watch it. And then the T-shirts would come out and all that stuff. So, uh, But, yeah, so those, those were the big ones where everybody in those first couple of seasons, the original cast, they all had their catchphrases. Uh, and here's another one from the early days. Yes. Never mind. <laughs> Emily Latella, uh, with her, never mind. And the, the bit was always the same. She couldn't hear. She would miss her something. She would come in to do an editorial. 
uh, or an editorial reply to a news story to something else that she heard, but she misheard it. And, um, and a lot of the times she would do, they would team her up with when Jane Curtin eventually became the co-anchor of, of, uh, of Weekend Update, they added bitch to the, to the catchphrases as well. All right. So there's another one. Never mind. So and then we got this one. Buckwheat jeans. Okay. Right. So those were that was when they were doing it because that's when uh, that's Eddie Murphy as Buckwheat. Okay. And then, of course, Buckwheat sings that looking for the the bong pates, that whole thing. Uh, And then, of course, you know, Buckwheat gets killed because Eddie Murphy got sick of playing Buckwheat. And so he came into the writer's room. He's like, I do not want to do Buckwheat anymore. I'm sick of doing this. And Eddie Murphy knew that it became like this recurring character bit where all he had to do was walk out on stage, say his catchphrases, and walk out. And he was not cool with that. Mike Myers was. Dana Carvey was. Eddie Murphy, on the other hand, was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to come out on stage and say the same goddamn thing every week. I'll get applause and we'll sell more T-shirts. But I want to actually write more stuff. So he actively said, I want buckwheat killed i want him killed on the show so i never ever have to say him again and walk out on stage and say you know a a catchphrase over and over and over again he was not cool with it there were some people on the show who were who wanted to do it every week one of them wanted to do it more than anybody else and that's john lovitz and i'll get to that in a little bit all right here is another catchphrase. of course ote that by the way that that sketch is one of my favorite ones that's back in the day when the calvin klein commercials and designer jeans the calvin klein jean commercials and jorass jeans and some of the other uh, very, very popular designer jeans with the, with the name on the label on the butt were very, very popular. In high school, the girls that I went to high school with uh, back in those days in the early 80s, that's all they wore. Very, very tight designer jeans. That was the thing. Very, very tight designer jeans, velour shirts, and feathered hair. That was the early, early 80s when I went to high school. So they made up Ote jeans, which was Buckwheat's designer jeans. So Ote, that's another one. All right, here's another catchphrase. I know, I hate when that happens. <laughs> All right, then that's, Chris, that's Christopher Guest uh, and Billy Crystal playing the two uh, night watchmen who had a tendency for self-mutilation, where they would hurt themselves, uh, go out of their way to take razor blades and cut their tongues or to actually drive nails into their legs or their bodies, do horrible self-mutilating things, and then say, oh, I hate when that happens, as though it were some sort of, you know, accident so i hate when that happens as in uh, as, that's a great one and again those guys were only on uh, snl for one season and uh it's hard to believe actually that christopher guest had a catchphrase but he did but it was mostly billy crystal who said it so hate when that happens there's another one now's the time on sprockets when we dance yes so one of the 9,000 Mike Myers catchphrases, I could have actually, this is a list of 20 that I, that I put together, 20 of the more sort of popular and, uh, and well-known catchphrases. And uh, again, Mike Myers had, you know, that, that was his number one goal, was to, was to write a, catch, a new catchphrase and help it caught on. And Sprockets, that caught on for sure. All right, here's another one. Stephen Sandy, making copies. The st- yeah, making copies. That's Rob Schneider as the copy guy um, who, you know, whose desk was right next to the copy machine in the back of the office. He was a dork and he would do wacky things with people's names when Sting was on uh, and came out to do copies. ding a ding dong And he would do that kind of stuff. And But his big catchphrase was making copies and those hats and those T-shirts sold downstairs in the lobby uh, <laughs> gift shop big time. So Rob Schneider had his. Now. This is the last one of the 20, and I know there are many more. And if you want to leave, you know, your thoughts 
on catchphrases that are some of your favorites. And again, catchphrases have to be more than one episode. They have to be recurring characters. Um, and I know I missed a bunch. I only I wanted to narrow it down to 20. I didn't want to do a 12-hour episode just basically on all the catchphrases. But if you have your favorite catchphrases, you can leave them with us. You can send me an email with uh, nickdpodcast at gmail.com or at 773-417-6948. You can leave uh, the catchphrases that I missed. And, and, uh, and I know that there are many, many that I missed. But this is probably the catchphrase that might be my favorite that is one of the most quoted uh, that is f- from a character that was multiple t- appeared multiple times on uh, SNL, and I will be doing an entire episode dedicated to this character and to this landmark sketch that started it all. Uh, but you'll know it when you hear it. And uh, this, I think, is one of the greatest catchphrases um, that not only became a catchphrase, but also defined a character. Steve and Sandy! Oh, that's the wrong Making one. <laughs> Sorry, I played that one already. Look at that. I set the whole damn thing up and I pressed the wrong button. All right. Again, this is the catchphrase that kind of, uh, I think, defines it. You're going to be doing a lot of doobie rolling when you're living in a van down by the river. (laughs) Young lady, what do you want to do with your life? I want to live in a van down by the river. Well, you'll have plenty of time to live in a van down by the river when you're living in a van down by the river. So, yeah, living in a van down by the river. Uh, quoted a million times. Uh, there are actually people who get paid to impersonate Matt Foley, you know, at bar mitzvahs and weddings and parties and stuff like that who get to say that they live in a van down by the river. Um, the reason why I think that that might be my favorite catchphrase of all time is it wasn't written just to be a catchphrase. I mean, Bob Odenkirk wrote that line with Chris Farley. They developed that whole, uh, that whole character. Matt Foley was developed right here in Chicago on the Second City stage. He and Odenkirk put that thing together. And uh, Farley came out on stage one night and did it. They improvised it for a while, but he killed so hard with it that it became like one of the most popular characters in Second City stage history. And he brought it to SNL. Um, and obviously, Matt Foley took off. It became like the defining character of Chris Farley's, not only his Saturday Night Live career, but probably his entire career, you know, uh, outside of Tommy Callahan. Um, but like that catchphrase, but the thing about that catchphrase, unlike the kind of stuff that like, you know, John Lovitz was trying to do and the kind of stuff that like Mike Myers was trying to do, and almost everybody was doing in the first few seasons, it wasn't just written to, to, to make sure that it got into the vernacular and sold merchandise. It was written from the point of view of this character, and it defined the character. And you knew who this character was because he was thrice divorced and he lives in a van down by the river. And that defines why the character acted the way he did, and it defined his behavior. So it was a catchphrase that was not only funny, that was not only quotable, that was not only repeated a lot, but it actually was revealing about the character itself, which I think makes it the best catchphrase of all time. So that's 20 of them. And I know I'm missing a bunch of them. And, and I will say this. They're a lot of fun. Catchphrases are a lot of fun. I think they're great when you repeat them and they get that round of applause. Oh, we're too wild and crazy. Oh, my God, I know that. You know, people, people love to say that. Oh, I know that. You know, you're watching something and they do something or say something on the screen that you know that it becomes a reference that you, you know, can identify with. Then it makes you feel good. It's comfort food. And I can understand the appeal of that. I don't think it's the best writing in the world. I don't think that just simply writing the same sentence over and over again because it's going to get a round of applause or recognition from an audience is the best way to write comedy. 
<laughs> and I like the fact that that kind of died down, like into the late 80s and the early 90s. After that, it kind of died down. If there was a recurring character and they said the same thing, it was earned at that point. It wasn't specifically written to be a catchphrase. It was written like Van Down by the River. It was written to define the character. And we still have a bunch of those. It still happens. We have great recurring characters who say the same things a lot. But now it just doesn't seem as blatantly obvious as it was back in the 70s and into the 80s and the early 90s where it was, we want a catchphrase, where every single cast member was desperate to have that, you know, water cooler catchphrase that everybody was saying. Now, if it happens, it happens, and that's cool. But it's just part of the development or the actual character or the satire of what you're writing. It's not just necessarily a catchphrase. And again, uh, you know, people attempted it. People attempted to create characters specifically to start a catchphrase. And, you know, obviously Mike Myers did it a bunch of times, a million times, and he was successful a lot at it. Dana Carvey did it a lot. In those days, Adam Sandler did it a lot. Uh, there was a period of time when people were writing characters, you know, uh, 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 cast members were writing and coming up with ideas simply to get that catchphrase, to catch fire. Uh, and one of the most guilty parties of this was John Lovitz. John Lovitz was a guy who, at one point, during the height of that period in the late 80s, when everybody had a catchphrase, and Mike Myers was writing a new one every week, John Lovitz, who had, yeah, that's the ticket, and he had a few other ones, um, came up with this character that I'm going to play a small bit for. And again, a lot of catchphrases do come up on Weekend Update. When characters come in, like Stefan... Uh, you know, the hottest club in New York, that whole thing, you know, the Stefan character. A lot of the characters that don't really fit anywhere into sketches show up on Weekend Update, and some of the best characters do. Um, and that's a great place for recurring characters to show up and sometimes say, you know, their catchphrases. So uh, back in, uh, in the 80s, when Dennis Miller was your Weekend Update uh, guy, um, John Lovitz, in an attempt to try to get into the Mike Myers and Dana Carvey world of catchphrase success, came up with, I think, one of the most annoying characters in the history of SNL. I'm going to play a little clip from it. One of the single most annoying characters in the history of SNL that was explicitly, blatantly, so unbelievably, unbelievably, obviously written to generate a catchphrase. And this is the guy. Now, with a commentary on some contemporary social issues of importance, here's Frenchie, the man you love to hate. Hello, Frenchie. Hello, Danny. How are you? Hello, everybody. I'm Frenchie. How are you? Is it a beautiful day? Everything good? Good. I'm Frenchie. I'm from France. <laughs> My real name is Pierre, but I've lived in your country for over 20 years, so everyone calls me Frenchie. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Frenchie. That character, I think, is one of the most annoying characters in the history of SNL. And that was so blatantly and obviously written and put on the show so that he could say, I'm Frenchie, as much as possible, so that at some point, hopefully, the next day, people would be walking around going, I'm Frenchie, and buy I'm Frenchie hats and I'm Frenchie t-shirts. It, 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 it didn't happen. But it wasn't for lack of trying. John Lovitz tried I'm Frenchie a bunch of times. It did not take off like the liar guy did. It did not take off like Dana Carvey and Mike Myers stuff was taking off at that time. Um, but he tried. And that, to me, is the most blatant example of someone desperately, very, very desperately trying to start 
a catchphrase. <laughs> like, I'm not going to write comedy. I'm going to go out, wear a wacky mustache, and create this character who is a bad Frenchman and just say, I'm Frenchy 17 times in the hopes that some T-shirts will be sold. Didn't work out, and it's one of the most embarrassing characters and one of the most blatant attempts to sell a catchphrase ever. Now, on the other hand, sometimes you earn it. Sometimes you get into a sketch and you create a character that's so well-written and so funny and so lovely that it comes back and it repeats. Currently, my favorite cast member on Saturday Night Live is Heidi Gardner. I think Heidi Gardner is one of the funniest women in the world. I think she's one of the greatest uh, female cast members in the history of SNL and has had an incredibly strong run from her very first episode to the stuff that she does on the show now. She creates memorable characters. She can do physical stuff. Uh, She's really, really funny. She can do some impressions, um, great accents, and she creates original weird characters. Uh, She can be physically weird and also really stunningly beautiful at the same time. She's got a character that I'm going to play here that has a catchphrase has come out of this. And of all the modern catchphrases that are now part of the vernacular in Saturday Night Live, again, written in a way not so much to just have catchphrases like fucking I'm Frenchy. This catchphrase came out of a great bit and a great character and a really thought out, very funny piece of satire. So this is Heidi Gardner playing Angel. Uh, and I'm going to play the whole bit. Here we go. A lot of serious stories this week, but here with Weekend Update's good news report is every boxer's girlfriend from every movie about boxing ever. Please welcome Angel. Hey, Michael. Hey, Angel. So how was your week? Uh, you know, I'm okay. I'm hanging in there. So I hear you got some good news for us. Well, you know, Tommy's fighting tonight, so I've been better. Well, I hope he wins. Yeah, well, I hope he stays alive to see our kids grow up. So, how many more hits till it's enough? Were you going to the fight, at least? No. No, I I told him, if he fights again, I'm taking the kids to my sisters. So that's where I'll be. You know now. And Colin, I want you to know, too. We'll be at my sisters. Okay. You know what? You're here to talk about the news, so let's do that. Uh, Holiday spending is expected to be up this year. Oh, come on. Oh, did I say something? You know, I've been here before with you holiday spending a lot, okay? You're up, and we're happy, and things are good, and then boom, you're down, okay? And I can't watch that. I know I've worked in a lot of bars in my life, but I deserve to be happy (laughs) for my kids. Mikey, Nikki, and Peppers. So, <laughs> if you're gonna do this holiday spending, I'm taking the kids to my sisters. So. Okay. Do you hear me? Yeah, I know. Does Colin know? Colin will be at my sisters. I am aware. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Let's move on to some good news. Okay, yeah. Apple yeah. predicts its release of the new iPhone 10 will be their biggest of all time. Okay. Oh you know no. What? You know what? When's it going to stop? You know, every year, a new iPhone. And and you know what? They tell me it's different this time. But you know what? I don't give up on my old phone after a year. You think think you're the fighter? I'm the fighter. I still got my 4S. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You should really get a new phone. Yeah. Yeah, and what kind of woman would I be if I did that? 
Okay, you know where I'm gonna be the day that that phone comes out? Yeah, at your sister's. At my sister's, right. yes, with my kids, yes. Colin, did you hear that? I can hear everything you're saying, yes. Yeah. Right here, well, we all heard you, Angel. Uh, let's talk about something happy. Yeah. The Snoopy balloon is returning this uh, Thanksgiving for the parade. Oh, come on, oh. Snoopy is 60 years old, all right? I can't take it, you can't take it. You know how many men it takes to hold you up. <laughs> You're done. You're a broken down piece of rubber, all right? And if, if you think for a second that I'm taking my kids to that parade and not to my sisters, then you've got another thing coming, Michael. Okay. No, I hear you, Angel. Uh, just out of curiosity, where are your kids right now? At my sister! Happy <laughs> right. girlfriend, everybody. Such a great character. Such a great character. God, I love Heidi Gardner. That's Angel, uh, every boxer's uh, girlfriend character from every boxing movie ever made. She was inspired by watching all these boxing movies, particularly Amy Adams' character in The Fighter. Uh, it's a great, it's a great satire. It's a brilliant parody of, uh, you know, a, a cliche in movies. And the whole, I'm taking my kids, I'm taking the kids to my sisters. That's actually a variation of a line, lines from many movies. So it's not really a catchphrase. Again, like um, Van Down by the River, it defines the character. And it is a catchphrase. I'm taking the kids to my sisters. It's something she says every time Angel comes on Weekend Update. She'll say it. And it is a catchphrase, technically, but it wasn't just written to sell T-shirts. It was written to be part of the satire of this cliche that you see in movies. So, so that's a great. those are the examples of catchphrases. We have a modern-day one that works in Heidi Gardner. And then we had the we had the 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 one that um, that was forced by John Lovitz and it didn't it failed. Then we have the twenty that are classic, and then the the ones like Strategery and Sweater Weather and More Cowbell that were only appeared on one episode, um, not by recurring characters uh, that really got into vernacular. And then we have this, and I want to close out with this. Uh, they did a satire of catchphrases um, on Saturday Night Live in what I think are a series of, they did it three times. Well, one time it was unaired, but they did it three times. And they did this thing called, it was a commercial for the comedy tour of the original Kings of Catchphrase Comedy. Now, the original Kings of Comedy was a group of comedians, African-American comedians, who toured the country very successfully. Uh, and the concert movie that was directed by Spike Lee was also very successful. And it was Bernie Mac, and it was Cedric the Entertainer. Um, and it was Steve uh, Harvey and D.L. Hughley, and they were the original kings of comedy. Well, inspired by that, SNL did this satire of the original catchphrase comedy, and these were, these were comedians, and a lot of comedians are known for their catchphrases. You know, like, uh, it, you might be a redneck, and all these other famous comedians, uh, you know, who have their catchphrases. Well, this, cart this uh, commercial parody that they did was about this fake um, comedy tour called The Original Kings of Catchphrase Comedy. It aired on March 12, 2011. That would be season 36, episode 17. Um, and uh, and it was, it, it, it's a classic. And Zach Galifianakis was your guest, uh, was your host. I'm going to play this whole commercial. Uh, and this, by the way, is a satire and a parody and making fun of catchphrases, which I find really ironic and really hilarious that SNL would do a sketch making fun of catchphrases even though they were responsible over the 48 years of dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of catchphrases. But it's true that there were a lot of comedians and have been a lot of comedians who do the catchphrase thing. So here is SNL's answer to catchphrases, the original kings of catchphrase comedy, and this features Keenan Thompson, Paul Britton. Remember Paul Britton? 
Bobby Moynihan and Zach Galifianakis as the original kings of catchphrase comedy. And here's the great satiric commercial. It's the original kings of catchphrase comedy tour. The four kings of catchphrase are back, and they're going absolutely crazy with David Beef Jelly Winfield. So my buddy Jimmy said, hey man, you want to go to the Waffle House? And I looked at him and was like, man, I ain't going to no house made from no waffles. Beef Jelly. Croatian import, Goran Funky Boy Bogdan. I go to your Sonic restaurant, I order a plate of Dobrozeki. They tell me the washroom is that way. Ooh, Funky Boy. <laughs> Slappy Pappy! Oh man, if a Dracula is chasing you, turn around and trip the mix! Slappy Pappy, wait, wait! And Pete Airhorn Schultz! <laughs> the Kings are back, and they're dusting off all your old favorite bits, like eating Dookie! You ever come home? and catch your wife eating dookie. Talking about, who put this dookie in my hand? You did, you nasty ass bitch. Beef jelly. Kicked in the Johnson. I tell, I tell you, I have no luck with American women. Uh, I offer them a grisecki. They kick me straight in my Johnson. Ooh, funky boy. McDonald's breakfast. And I can't get an Eggie McMuffin because it's 10.35. Flappy bappy, wait, wait. And New York versus LA. Praise the Lord! The Kings are back, and this time they brought friends. Barry the Plumbing Gentleman. Not in my bait shop! Mike, insert joke here, Henry. Idaho, insert joke here. Chip, I'm single, Fenny. So, uh, yeah, I'm single. Boston Powers. Do I make you horny, baby? Dr. Velociraptor. <laughs> Newsflash, sweetie. Newsflash, I'm crazy. <laughs> White Bernie Mac. Y'all bunch of some of my bitches. Some of my bitch. And of course, fur coat Rhonda. Of course I can afford gas. If you know their names, you know their catchphrases. Slappy, Pappy, wait, wait. The original kings of catchphrase tour. Phrase the roof! Coming soon to bootleg DVD. There you go. So that's uh, that's that's a great piece of satire about catchphrases, something that SNL <laughs> is really known for. So <laughs> just slamming the catchphrase, but doing it in a brilliant way. Uh, and it kills two birds with one stone. It makes fun of the fact that catchphrases appeared on SNL, but mostly it made fun of uh, the original Kings of Comedy and so many comedians who have their little catchphrases. Uh, and in that sketch, Taron Killam, uh, Fred Armisen, Andy Samberg, uh, Seth Meyers is Boston Powers, um, uh, Jay Farrow, Vanessa Bear, um, uh, Jason Sudeikis is White Bernie Mac, <laughs> and, and the, the, the lovely Abby Elliott is Fur Coat Rhonda. Uh, so, so, so great. Now, they did it two more times. Uh, they did it a second time on um, November 5th, 2011, season 37, episode uh, 11. Charlie Day was the host, and Maroon 5 was on. Charlie Day played Dirk Jackknife Kane. Adam Levine, because Maroon 5 was on, he played Adam Hawk Attack Levine, where you bring out a hawk. Fred Armisen was George, that ain't uh, it's a Miguel. Vanessa Bear again was Newsflash. 
Uh, Paul Britton was Funky Boy again. Abby Elliott was Fur Coat Rhonda. Uh, Taryn Killam was the announcer. Uh, and the, the Squeefy Brothers. Bill Hader was Rick, watch it, or uh, I'll blank on your blank. Uh, Seth Meyers was Boston Powers again. Bobby Moynihan, Slappy Pappy, which I think is my favorite. And then Eggy McMuffin. <laughs> Nassim Pajad was Bonnie, my vagina, Carolina. Uh, Jay Farrell was Black Stewie Griffin. Andy Samberg was Gavin, what if it had boobs, Spiler. Jason Dacus was Chris, who said that, Bruss. Keenan Thompson was Beef Jelly. And Kristen Wiig was Shayna in these shoes, Tunt. Um, and uh, so those were, the, those were the comedians that were in the second one. They did it a third time. The uh, original Kings of Catchphrase comedy did a third time, only it didn't air. So it's one of those air, unaired sketch, sketches that you have to find online. And that was a big night. That was um, May 19th, 2012, episode 37. I'm sorry, uh, season 37, episode 22. Mick Jagger was your host with Mick Jagger, Foo Fighters, and Arcade Fire as your musical guest. And it was a big night because it was Andy Samberg's last show and famously Kristen Wiig's last show uh, where they had the big tribute to her and they played... Um, uh, she's an uh, she's an angel at the end, um, and so uh, in it, Mick Jagger appeared as a comedian, and Dave Grohl appeared as a comedian as well in the Kings of Catchphrase Comedy Three. So uh, there you go. So just about ten years ago, those sketches sketches came out, making fun of catchphrases on a show that embraced catchphrases, and for about the first I don't know fifteen ish twenty years. Not only embraced catchphrases, but encouraged every cast member to come up with one no matter how dumb, so people repeated them over and over again. Catchphrases are a lot of fun. Catchphrases are really great. And I know I missed a bunch of them, and I know I did. I only played 20 back. And again, the rules are they have to be recurring. They have to be on more than one show, even if they're very quotable. Uh, so I know I missed a bunch. And if you want to, you know, uh, any comments, any questions, any of that kind of stuff, uh, you, can, you can leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948. Email me here, and it'll get to me at this podcast and at my other podcast, the Nick D Podcast, both on Radio Misfits Podcast Network, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to everybody at Radio Misfits Ed. Check out radiomisfits.com. Check out radiomisfits.live. It's a 24-hour streaming service that is playing all the time. Great music, great podcasts, including my podcast. Check out radiomisfits.live. It's a 24-hour streaming live radio, radio station that you can hear. You can hear this podcast every morning daily at 9 a.m., and you can hear my other podcast, the Nick T Podcast, every afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time. So check that out. My thanks to uh, Jason Skaggs, who does the music. He did the opening theme, and he did this closing theme. My thanks to you. I've been getting a lot of great response uh, from people about the podcast, and I appreciate it. I love doing it. We'll be back for episode 20. And again, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Spread the word. Rate and review us. Radio Misfits. And we'll see you next time on that show. Hasn't been funny in years in SNL Podcast. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>